Please open your Bibles with me to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. (laughs) Uh, It's a blessing to be in the book of Numbers. We're going to look at Numbers chapter 13 and 14 tonight. And the uh, title of tonight's message, Faith or Fear? Faith or Fear? You're going to have that choice in your Christian journey. You're going to have it on a fairly regular basis. You'll have options to respond and walk in fear, or you'll have opportunity to walk in faith. And that choice is going to greatly impact the outcome of your spiritual life. You see, God is faithful, and God has provided everything that we need pertaining to life and to godliness. I like the way Pastor Chuck expresses it he said you know god will take you as far as you will let him god has something good in mind god has something really beautiful in store for our lives and he will take you as far on that good journey and blessing that he has as you will allow him and you can go with the lord and he'll take you to a good place or you can resist and and detour and, uh, you know, resi- you know, rebel and, and have, you know, something less than those ideal consequences that the Lord ultimately wants to bring in and through our lives. So there is something that we have to do. There is a participation in this work of God in our lives. And faith is really something that God is looking for in our hearts. And it's unfortunate, but often it seems to me and probably to you too, that many of God's people don't really move into the fullness of the joy. They don't seem to walk in the fullness of the victory. They don't seem to walk in all that God has promised and intended for his children. It's frustrating. I, I, I see it often, and I, I wish that you know I could somehow coach people to go all the way with the Lord. And, of course, that's as pastors. You try to encourage and shepherd that. But ultimately, it's up to the individual hearts to trust the Lord, obey the Lord, and yield their life to the Lord. And when they do, when we do, we do enjoy the blessing and peace that he has for us. We're here in the book of Numbers. God has something good intended for his people, Israel. He's brought them out of Egypt. He's brought them across the Red Sea. He's already begun to work miraculously in their lives. He's brought his presence there in the middle and center of their camp in the form of the tabernacle. He's given them the laws and the commandments. He's given them leadership and priesthood, ministry and atonement and forgiveness of sin, all this opportunity to walk in relationship, and he's bringing them to a promised land. This was a land that he promised all the way back in Abraham. So this is many generations later, a nation of people who know that God has ultimately promised them a land. And he has brought them out of Egypt to bring them very specifically to that land. They know this. They know that's why God brought them out of Egypt. They know that's where they're going. That's, they know they, they, they're conscious of what God is ultimately trying to do in their life as a nation. And yet, now they come to the brink. They come to the to the opportunity to actually go in and possess the land, and instead of walking in faith, they respond in fear. This is the account of that. We'll be looking at these two chapters, 13 and 14. 
They come to this, this place, the edge there of the promised land, and Moses is now going to send, by the Lord's instruction, scouts, spies, if you will, those to go out and scout the land. Follow with me. We'll pick it up in verse 1 through 25. Moses is going to dispatch some, some scouts. Now, I'm not going to list. Uh, we'll skip some of these names for the sake of me not being able to pronounce them that well and kind of repetition, but you'll get the gist of it. Verse 1, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the children of Israel. Now these were, these were leaders, each from one tribe. And it lists now those that were, that were sent. Picking it up in verse 16, these are the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Hoshea, the son of Nun, Joshua. Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up this way into the south and go up to the mountains and see what the land is like, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are forests there or not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob near the entrance of Hamath. And they went up through the south and came to Hebron. Ahiman, Sheshai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, were there. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. Then they came to the valley of Eskol, and there cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes, and they carried, carried it between two of them on a pole. They also brought some of the pomegranates and figs. The place was called the Valley of Eskol because of the cluster which the men of Israel cut down there, and they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. They're sent to spy out the land. Notice again in verse 1. God instructs Moses, tell them to go check this land out, which I am giving to the children of Israel. This is a land that I'm giving. This is a land that I'm working to, to, to deliver into your hand. I want you to go check it out. I want you to go, and I want you to take some leadership from each tribe so that they will all be able to see what God is getting ready to do. We notice there, again, I didn't take the time to, to list the names, but of course two of them will become very important. Verse 5, from the tribe of Judah, we notice that Caleb was sent. And then in verse 8, out of Ephraim, Hoshea, who was also known as Joshua. Hoshea means salvation. Moses, Joshua means Yahweh saves. So the Lord is salvation. Moses re renamed him the Lord is salvation. In verse 17, they are sent out to see what the land is like. Now, the idea that God had here was actually to encourage the people. The idea was that they, they would go and they would see this good land. That somebody from each tribe would go out and check out this land that was flowing with milk and honey. This, you know, they'd been in Egypt as slaves now for 400 years. 
They'd been now out in the wilderness for some time. And now they've come to this place. And God wants them to get something of a preview. Send a leader from each each family to go out and check this out. It was to instill faith. It was to actually give them something of a small practical step of preparation for what the Lord was going to do. Check it out. Come back and report on the land, the fruitfulness of it. Come back and tell us about the cities, the strongholds, the people that are there. Because God is going to send them in to judge those people of the land. God is going to send them in to actually rout out the people of that land. Prior, in Abraham's time, when God said, I'm going to give you this land, he said, but I'm not going to give it to you yet because the sins of this people living in the land of Canaan are not yet full. You see, God was actually waiting for this people that were all pagan. Eventually, their sinfulness became you know, so dominant that God actually sent Israel in not only to give them a promised land, but also to judge and rout out the people that had become completely pagan and, uh, you know, ungodly. So now the time has come. God has already removed the protection of those people there. He's sending them there and he wants them to check it out. It's a step of faith. Really, go and see what God is going to do. And often this is the way the Lord works. I've shared this with you before. You know, God will give a promise. God will give a sense of direction in your heart. God will often stir something in your heart. And then he'll give you some kind of practical step to begin to move towards what he's calling you to do. And that's what this was designed to be. This was not designed to be an opportunity to become fearful, but rather an opportunity to practically begin to move towards what God is getting ready to do. And it may be that God has put things in your heart. It may be that you have a sense of of ministry or, or direction that God is even calling you to. Look for those practical steps that God would give to you to move towards that. It doesn't happen overnight. I want to be a missionary uh, to a foreign country. Well, you don't just go down and buy your ticket, right? You begin to start praying. You begin, If you sense the Lord, and that it could be the Lord would be calling someone to that. But you begin to take those practical steps towards that to prepare yourself, to ready yourself for that. And in that, God will bless and honor, and then if it is the Lord, he'll give you the next step that you're to take. So that's what's happening here. The Lord is actually trying to prepare them, giving them a practical step, and, uh, you know, letting them see that the land is good, but he's also letting them see that it's going to take the Lord to give us this land. In other words, we see that there are a lot of strong people living there in very fortified cities. God wanted them to see that because he wanted them to know that this is going to take the hand of God. This is going to take the miracle working power. God is going to have to be with us. Oh, this land is good. This is the this is what you'll see in Caleb and Joshua's response. The land is good. Let's trust the Lord to give it to us as we go and fight the battles before us, even though the people are strong and the cities are fortified. The Lord is with us. And I believe that God often calls us to those things that you can't figure out on your own. You know, if they'd been able to go, if they'd gone in there and they'd just seen all this lush land and and all the people just kind of feebly, you know, there and nobody really, then they wouldn't even have needed the Lord. Let's just go take it. It's there for the taking. 
But it, it would require faith. It would require dependency on God. I was at a pastor's conference here last year, and one of the pastors said something that really kind of stayed with me, talking just about how ministry really does need to be uh, divinely ordained. Uh, and he said, you know, if you can explain your ministry, if you can explain every part of your ministry just through natural circumstance and means, it may not be the Lord. Because when it's the Lord, it's usually there are things that you cannot explain. God worked. God did it. God had to do it. We could have never seen what happened apart from God working and moving on our behalf. And that's what you want in your walk of faith. That's what you want in your Christian experience. You want to see God intervening and working in your life, through your life. So God is setting them up for this opportunity to walk by faith. He tells them in verse 20, Moses does, be of good courage. Don't go over there and be afraid. Be there, be strong. God is with us. Bring some of the fruit of the land. As leaders, they were to walk in faith. They were to bring back a testimony of the land, a sample of its fruitfulness, give evidence to the land, to their people. It was an opportunity to encourage and to build faith. took two men to carry back a cluster of grapes. That must have been a pretty good-sized cluster of grapes. And uh, let's read on and let's see. They come back. They've they've done their 40-day tour. Verse 26, pick it up with me. And we'll get these initial reports. Now, they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And then they told him they said, and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who are who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. And then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. Then they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our, own, in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. So these leaders come back and they give their report, and yes, truly, it is a land flowing of, with milk and honey. So much so that Caleb can hardly contain himself. Let's go get it now. It's so good. It's so fruitful. It is such a... So excited that God has brought us to this place. It's finally arrived. We've been journeying. We've been, you know, waiting for this. And now it's before us. Let's go. Let's go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. Caleb knew that it was the Lord. He knew that the Lord was with him. He knew that the Lord was in this. This was the land God had promised. The trip had inspired him. He was excited. And the people of the land were of no consequence to him. 
because he knew that the Lord was with him. If the Lord is with us, if the Lord is for us, who can be against us? This is the faith and confidence that Caleb walked in. He was not looking at the circumstance. He was looking at the, 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 uh, the opportunity that the Lord had put before him. And he trusted that the Lord would bring favor and give victory. And I believe that's exactly what the Lord wanted to create in the hearts of those leaders. He wanted all of them to be kind of stoked like Caleb. You know, get a little foretaste. Go see what I've got in mind. And, and that just to energize them spiritually. Well, faith is what God was looking for. But we see there in verse 32, a number of them, most of them, gave a bad report. It wasn't faith at all. It was fear. Land that devours its inhabitants. How do the people get so strong if it's a land that devours its inhabitants? You kind of wonder. It doesn't even seem to make sense. Oh, it's a, it's a rough, rugged land. It devours its inhabitants. Well, if it devours all its inhabitants, what, what condition are the people in that are there? Oh, they're strong. They're mighty. They're, it seems to be a land that actually is strengthening and blessing the inhabitants. So they just, they just kind of waxed into fear. And uh, they saw the men there as men of great stature. Their giants were like grasshoppers. You know, I remember I used to, when I was in high school, I used to, to I was on the wrestling team. And uh, you, you go to these high schools, you know, for weigh-in and stuff. And, you know, so during weigh-in, you'd always, you know, you'd see the guy that you're getting ready to wrestle. And, man, they always look big and strong to me, you know. I always look, oh, man, I can't beat that guy. And, and this would just be kind of, and they were feeling the same way. It's just kind of that, nat- you know, when you're getting ready to go, hand-to-hand combat with somebody, you just begin to check him out. Can I take him, you know? And you can't help but be a little fearful. I don't know. I don't know if I can, you know? And so, you know, then, then you got guys that try to intimidate, you know, a little bit. <laughs> just look, you know, the stare down. You've seen all this. And so this is kind of what's going on with, with in the heart of these, these, these spies. They're there, and they're looking, and they're saying, wow, these guys, these guys look so strong. Well, these guys are big. You know, they're completely looking at the circumstance. They're not looking to the Lord. They're not thinking about the promise of the Lord. They're just checking it out in the natural, and they're kind of evaluating, can we take these guys? Look at them. They're behind walls, fortified cities. We're just this little tent tribe out in the wilderness. We don't stand a chance here. They just began to sink and sink into fear. So you can kind of see how, I mean, that is human nature. I mean, you've all experienced that. I'm sure you wonder, can I do it? Are we, are we capable? And it is the natural kind of fearful response when, when sometimes, you know, you have to go up against something that's going to be a challenge. But they forgot that the Lord was with them. They forgot that it was the Lord who was sending them. And this is where faith comes. God does not send you and I to do things that we can do without him. He sends us to do and calls us to do those things that we can only do with him. Jesus said, if you want to bear fruit, you're going to have to abide in me as a branch does a vine. Because apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. God does not send us out on mission where where we don't need him. He will always send... so. So here's the thing. It'll always look impossible or it'll always look bigger than what you can do and what you can see. And it'll always be a little overwhelming. And if it isn't, then you have to kind of check. Well, 
Is this really of the Lord? Now, I don't mean that's going to be crazy impossible, but there will always be, and maybe, sometimes it is, but always there are challenges. When we first came up as a, uh, 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 a church being planted up here in Monrovia, Pastor Barney, he was in Maryland. They came up with Tony and I, and we knocked on doors. You know, we were looking to plant a work up here. We felt like the Lord was calling us up into this area. And we knocked on church doors and all of them, you know, to see if we could borrow maybe a, a midweek somewhere where they did. They had an open night. We could come in. We just wanted to start a Bible study. No, no, we're not interested. No, no, we can't do it. And uh, we, we looked around, and we kind of came. I, I came up into Monrovia, and I was on a, excuse me, a summer evening up in Monrovia, up in Library Park. And, I mean, it was one of those perfect summer evenings. The temperature was just right. You know, there's a lot of shade up there. There, were, there was just families. People, there was somebody giving dog lessons. So there was just all the, and my wife was with me. And we walked around there and we thought, wow, this is flowing with milk and honey. This is good. This will, this will be a nice, you know, kind of community just to, to plant the work. Because we were looking in Arcadia and Dwardy and Monrovia. We were kind of trying to scout out the land. We didn't, and the Lord was closing doors everywhere. And so we knocked, so I called this, this uh, community center in Monrovia. And they said, oh, no, uh, we won't rent to a church because you want to rent it every Sunday, and it's a community center. We can't rent to any organization that uses it every single Sunday. I said, well, how many Sundays do you have booked? Oh, well, we don't have any booked. <laughs> I said, well, like last year, how many did you book? Uh, we booked two. <laughs> I said, well, maybe we'll just take what you don't book. Would you be open? Well, I don't know if we can do that. I'll have to see, you know. And I remember that first phone call and kind of the no and the doors closing, and I felt like a grasshopper. I felt like, Lord, it's, you know, why did you send it? It's never going to happen, you know. The doors are closing. We're like grasshoppers up here, and uh, these people are the city. Everybody's a giant, and we can't do any of it. But I knew the Lord was in it. And, uh, in fact, I called... Uh, I called my pastor, Pastor Brian, and I said, you know, I I just feel like this is where the Lord wants us to start. But uh, the city said no. He said, well, you got to just keep asking. Go back to him again and ask him why you can't. And, you know, make them feel like they're discriminating against you if they won't let you in there. (laughs) Uh, You know, so this strategy, I guess, here, but... So anyway, long story short, well, it's too late, it's already long, but we ended up, you know, the city did end up uh, saying, you know what, we're going to give you a try. It was a trial basis. And you know, the blessing is that uh, this was, you know, seven years ago, and, and the Lord, of course, has moved us on and through the city, but even today, there's, there are churches that are now able to enjoy leasing the community center there on, on Sundays, kind of opened the door. The city, it, it went well with them. They realized this was actually a good fit for the community. And so the community center has become a resource for not only our church, but for other churches as well. But it's what the Lord had. And, and we know that this is what God wanted, and we know this is the area that God ultimately wanted to plant us. But it doesn't come easy. It doesn't come, you know, everything doesn't just fall into place. Oftentimes, you have to labor, you have to, you have to fight, you have to engage in prayer and faith, and you have to trust the Lord. And so, this is what's going on, but these, these, uh, these leaders have come back with fear in their heart. They saw only the circumstance. They let their eyes completely off the Lord, His Word, His promises, His faithfulness up to that point. 
They only saw things in the natural and they were overwhelmed. Well, the people are going to respond. Pick it up with me in verse 14. This report comes in and here's how the people respond. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried. And the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, they tore their clothes and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and will give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And all the congregations said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. So we see the response. They hear these discouraging words, and it spreads like wildfire in their heart. Their hearts are immediately filled with fear instead of faith. They completely caved under this first kind of challenging word before them. They cried, they wept, they complained, looking only at circumstance without considering the Lord, his word, his promises, his faithfulness in their lives thus far, seeing in a negative and detailed view, they refused to see the Lord's ability to work. You know, this happens even in our lives. Circumstances come. Something comes against you, a trial, a difficulty, and immediately we are locked in on the circumstance. Immediately we think only of what we can see, of what we can figure out and what we can't figure out, and we take our eyes off of the Lord. And this is what creates, not faith, fear, anxiety, worry, stress, you know, fretting and, and, and weeping and crying and complaining. All of this comes from fear. It's not of faith. Faith and fear war against each other. The Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear. Fear doesn't come from God. It says that He's given us a spirit, a, a, a power, love, and a sound mind. Perfect love cast out all fear. When God is with you, when God is working in and through your life, fear is not supposed to be dominating our thoughts and feelings. We're supposed to be walking in faith. Yeah, but what about the impossible situation? What about the financial situation that I'm in? What about the difficulty at work? 
What about the difficulty in my family? What about this health news that I just received? And all of the, all of the circumstances that immediately tend to capture our mind and thoughts, and we, we think not of God, we think only about the circumstance, and we begin to fear and, and become anxious and worried, rather than turning to the Lord in faith, believing that God is not surprised by this emergency, believing that God still loves you and has a plan for you, and that if you will pray and cry out to him, he will meet you in that crisis. And that if you will wait on the Lord, he will give you wisdom, he will give you direction, he will give you victory. God will bring something good. He works all things together for good to those that love him and those that are called according to his purpose. These people responded very poorly. Fear instead of faith. Not only that, their their response reveals something of a, a real lack of relationship with the Lord. I mean... Imagine having come this far, having seen all that they have seen, and at the first negative word, oh, that we had died in Egypt. Let's pick a new leader. Moses is a loser. Let's hit somebody else. We need to go back to Egypt. I mean, it shows that that they really, their hearts were not really connected in relationship with the Lord. And that's often, you know, what, what produces a lot of this fear and this kind of a reaction is a lack of trust, a lack of fellowship with God. You've all had, I'm sure, in your your life, you know, your Christian walk, times when you were close to the Lord and a trial kind of raises its head and it doesn't seem, you know, because you're walking close in relationship with him, that trial does not unsettle you. You don't like it. You know, it's a problem, but it doesn't rock you. And then there have been other times in your life when you haven't been close to the Lord in relationship and fellowship. You've been distant from him. And then a trial comes, and what happens? It does rock you. It overwhelms you. It it causes all kinds of anxiety. That's what's going on here. We're seeing people that really were not anchored in the Lord and their relationship with him. So quickly they come to this place. And listen to what they say about the Lord. Verse 3, Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should become victims? This is what they think of God. He tricked us out of Egypt, led us out here, so that we and our wives and children could all be slaughtered. Why did you do that to us, Lord? You see, even even their concept of God is marred. It's it's totally... uh, disfigured by their own fear and their own personal tragedy, that they can't even see clearly to know God in the right and appropriate way. And this is what fear tries to do often, to try and get you a, give you a distorted view of God. And so they, they, they have the, they're, they're not trusting in the Lord's word. They don't really know. You can't say that and really believe that God is for you and with you and loves you. It's, it's a lack of fellowship and understanding him. And they know about God. They, they've seen him work, but they do not know him in a personal relationship. It, it, it reveals that in their response. Something else ultimately really is just a stubborn rebellion. Joshua and Caleb try very carefully to speak to faith into their hearts. But this is not just a... A fear, this is a refusal to believe. We will not be moved. We will not trust God. We refuse to 
We want to stone you guys for even trying to talk us into believing that God would be for us, unwilling to walk by faith. Again, I I take a quote from Pastor Chuck. He says, none so blind as those who will not see. It's not that they can't, they will not. They refuse to. And so it is, none so fearful as those who will not believe. God had been faithful to this point. They They had enough evidence to build faith on. They had already seen God work. This is not the first trial. God had already brought them through quite a bit of experience, showing himself strong, providing for them out in that wilderness. They'd had water, they'd had manna, they'd had food, they'd had miracles, they'd seen God's hand, and yet they they refused to believe that he could bring them into this promised land. They determined in their hearts not to trust him, And it says in verse 10, now the glory of the Lord appeared. And I have to imagine that that brought a little bit of concern. They're there. We're going to leave. We're going to stone these people. And all of a sudden, the glory of the Lord shows up at the tabernacle. And they realize, uh uh-oh, God is now on the scene and getting ready to speak. Let's pick it up here, verse 11, and we see Moses now beginning to intercede once again for this nation. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe me with all the signs which I have performed among them? I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. God said, let's just start over. And Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear it, for by your might you brought these people up from among them. And they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, Lord, are among these people, that you, Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands above them. And you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and in a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill these people as one man, then the nations which have heard of your fame will speak, saying, because the Lord was not able to bring this people to the land which he swore to give them, therefore he killed them in the wilderness. And now I pray, let the power of my Lord be great, just as you have spoken, saying, the Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray, according to the greatness of your mercy, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. But truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test now these ten times and have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him, and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land where he went, and his descendants shall inherit it. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valley. Tomorrow turn and move out into the wilderness, 
by the way of the Red Sea. Moses intercedes. Now God, of course, knew what he would do. God is actually giving Moses opportunity to intercede once again for this people. And Moses intercedes by saying, God, for your own glory's sake, be merciful. As a witness, as a testimony of your your name and what you've done for this people, Lord, lest the people of the, of the, of the lands be, be confused about your greatness. Lord, for your glory, be merciful, and also according to the greatness of your mercy. You know, I was just struck with the difference that Moses had in his feeling and thoughts towards God and the people. The people. Why has God brought us out here to slaughter our wives and children? Moses, Lord, according to your great mercy, and because you're so good, and because your your loving kindness is so great, I'm asking you to pardon this people once again. Moses had that relationship, you see. Moses knew better than to think that God would bring the people out to slaughter them. Moses knew that God was a God of love and a God of mercy and a God of grace because he had a personal relationship. Interesting. They all saw the same miracles. They all saw the same evidence. The children of Israel, they they saw the Red Sea part. They saw the same miracles done through the hand of Moses. They saw the fire. They saw the pillar of, uh, of, you know, of fire and the cloud uh, by day. They saw all of the same things that Moses saw, but it shows you, you know what? Seeing the miraculous by itself, seeing things, is not the same as knowing things through personal relationship. Thank God for his miracle power. Thank God for his working supernaturally in our lives. But listen, don't, don't depend on those things to develop a personal relationship with the Lord. That comes through time and prayer. That comes through time and his word and spending time in his presence. It comes through, through any other, just like any other relationship. It comes through fellowship with the Lord. Moses was one who met with the Lord daily. He went in and, and heard from God. He spoke with God and poured his heart out to the Lord. He didn't just know the things that God had done. He understood the ways of God. He knew his heart. And this is reflected in his prayer. And God says in verse 20, I have pardoned. He says something beautiful in verse 21. As I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. God makes a promise here, a covenant. I believe that is yet to come. I don't believe that we have yet seen the glory of the Lord completely filling the earth. But there is promise that in the future, when Christ returns, that he will. And he says something very interesting about Caleb, a different spirit. He has followed me fully. Again, a relationship was the key to his faith and trust. He knew God, not just about God, but he knew God. I like that, that he has a different spirit in him. He has followed me fully. Caleb is uh, quite a character. We're going to see this in, in future studies. Um. I mean, he's just a courageous kind of a guy. And even uh, later in the book of Joshua, so 40 years after this account, so I don't know how old he was when this happened, maybe, I I I think he was 40 years old roughly when this happened, 
he's going to be 80 when they finally go into the land. And what you know, so as an 80-year-old, his zeal doesn't diminish. He says, I'm as strong today, I'm as ready now to go in and take the land as I was 40 years ago. Let's go. He just had this, this heart, this faith, this, this boldness in the Lord. And I think it's, uh, I don't know, for me, I just, Lord, put that kind of spirit in me. He had a different spirit in him, and it came out of following you fully. Lord, that's, that's where I want to live. I want to live in a heart with a heart that is following you fully. There's something of power there. There's something of faith there. There's something of, of relationship that is deep and rich. And I long for that. And I pray that God would put that in our hearts. Lord, make us Caleb's. Give us that kind of faith. Well, God is going to deal with this fear. Pick it up now in verse 26. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complain against me? I have heard the complaints which the children of Israel make against me. Say to them, As I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness. All of you who were numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above, except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. You shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in. But your little ones, whom you said would be victims, I will bring in, and they shall know the land which you have despised. But as for you, your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness, and your sons shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years and bear the brunt of your infidelity until your carcasses are consumed in the wilderness. According to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, 40 days, for each day you shall bear your guilt one year, namely 40 years, and you shall know my rejection. I, the Lord, have spoken this. I will surely do so to all this evil congregation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall be consumed, and there they shall die. Now the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, who returned and made all the congregation complain against him by bringing a bad report of the land, those very men who brought the evil report about the land died by the plague before the Lord. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, remained alive of the men who went to spy out the land. So God says there's going to be a price to pay for this unbelief for this refusal to walk in faith and he's going to reward them for their disobedience they will not possess the land they would live and die in the wilderness those that were 20 years and older so those that are of adult age that have all embraced this refusal and rejected my promise and desire to give you this blessing you, know, you don't want it, you don't believe it, I can give it to you, then you won't have it. But he said, the, you know, you thought that I, was gonna, that I brought all of your little ones out here to be victims and to die. Well, I'm going to preserve them, and actually they are going to possess this promised land. I'm still going to fulfill my promise. I am going to give this land to this nation. But those of you that have not walked by faith, those of you that have refused, you will not have it. Forty years. One year for every day that you spied out the land. You see, that spying out the land was to build faith. 
It was to be something that would encourage and strengthen. And every day that they should have been building faith, instead they were giving place to fear. And even after 40 days of seeing this beautiful place, they rejected it, and so God judged them 40 years. And the spies who actually instigated this evil report, they all died of the plague right then and there. There's a lot of uh, similarity here in, in this, this story, with, uh, and a lot of commentators notice this. I'll, I'll point out some of it to you. Egypt is often referenced as a representation of the world and that life of bondage and sin. The Red Sea representing that baptism of salvation as, as God delivers and brings one out from bondage. But the promised land is supposed to be that full blessing of God's peace and joy for the Christian life. Crossing over the Jordan is that final kind of putting down the flesh and putting to death the things of the flesh and now walking in the fullness of what God has called us to. It's not a picture of heaven because there would still be battles there. There were still enemies there. There are no battles or enemies in heaven. So it is more a, a picture of a, of a promised fullness and blessing and richness that God has called us to as his children. And this is why I said earlier tonight when I started that it seems that many Christians, they come out of Egypt, but they never come into the promised land. And they spend a lot of time wandering in the wilderness, living in something less than what God has intended. They're not walking in the fullness of peace and victory. They're not walking, and, they're, and they're still kind of, their heart still kind of lingers back on Egypt. Well, let's go back there, and they're fearful, and they're, they're struggling, and it's, it's difficult. And they never seem to come into the fullness of what God has called them to. It has to be embraced by faith. The Lord desires us to live in the fullness of joy, peace, and blessing. Battles, yes. Struggles, of course. But promised victory in God's power to deliver. This lack of faith, this unbelief kept them from a great blessing. The Lord pardoned them, but they did not enter the fullness of what he had for them. Finally, we close here tonight, verse 39. Some of them would then presume. They heard this bad news that they weren't going to go in, so they decided that they would just go ahead and go in. Then verse 39, Then Moses told these words to all the children of Israel, and the people mourned greatly. And they rose early in the morning and went up to the top of the mountain, saying, Here we are, and we will go up to the place which the Lord has promised, for we have sinned. And Moses said, Now, why do you transgress the command of the Lord? For this will not succeed. Do not go up, lest you be defeated by your enemies, for the Lord is not among you. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you, and you shall fall by the sword, because you have turned away from the Lord. The Lord will not be with you. But they presumed to go up to the mountaintop. Nevertheless, neither the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed from the camp. And then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who dwelt in that mountain came down and attacked them and drove them back as far as Hormah. So they go from one mistake to the next. <laughs> they go from unbelief to presumptuous disobedience. We'll force the Lord's hand to help us. Okay, okay, we're sorry. We get it now. We've got to go in. We don't want to be here in the wilderness all this time. Okay, okay, well, we're ready now. We're ready to go now. And off they go. They refused to go with the Lord 
but they were determined to go without the Lord. And again, this is so often what we see even in Christian lives. They won't, you know, people won't do what God sets before them to do, but they will go and do and and try to drag God along with them to the things that they decide to do. And they presume upon the Lord. And of course, that didn't prosper them at all. As I was just kind of preparing that last section, I I was mindful of, of the Potter's Field ministry that was here Sunday night. And just that that graphic picture of uh, Mike, Pastor Mike working the clay. Of course, drawing from that passage in Jeremiah where it talks about the Lord is the potter and we are the clay. And how often the clay wants to dictate to the potter how to do and what to do and resists the, the potter. Of course, real clay doesn't have any animation in it to do that, but the image is clear. We do and we can rebel. It seems that we can just jump right off the potter's wheel. And we can fight that that pressure and the hand of the potter. And that's what's going on here with these Israelites. They won't go in when the Lord says go in. And they won't stop when the Lord says stop. They want to go in when he's not with them. And they don't want to go in when he says he is with them. And this is that rebellion. We want to do it our way. And we want God to bless our way. I want to do what I want. And I want God to bless it. And instead of. I want to yield and submit. I'm the clay. He's the potter. Lord, I am submitted and yielded to you. I want to be walking in those things that you're calling me to, and I want to walk by faith. Are you living tonight? How would you describe your personal place spiritually tonight? Are you in fear or are you in faith? Are you walking in a place of peace and confidence? I'm not saying without trial or without difficulty or without some, you know, circumstance. But where's your heart today? Is it in faithful, confident trust that God is with you and for you? Or are you living in fear and anxiety and being overwhelmed and wondering why God has left you to this place and wondering why God isn't answering? Why, God, why are you, why have you brought me out here to do this to me? That fearful, anxious place. Are you willing to stop wandering in the flesh? Are you willing to start claiming the fullness of God by faith? Are you willing to put it down and trust the Lord? Are you willing to go where he calls you and do what he asks you to do? Because there's blessing there. Fullness of joy. Or are you determined to, to do what you want and somehow trying to recruit him to that program by presumptuously, stubbornly going and doing your own thing? These are the lessons for us. You know, Paul said these things are written for our examples. The, the human nature hasn't changed. And neither has the faithfulness of God. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. Lord, we look at this passage and very easy for us to kind of see the error very clear to us the mistake that the heart of the people were making and yet lord there are times when we make those same mistakes it seems to me lord that the missing piece in the heart of the people was that close 
fellowship and relationship with you. Those that were following you closely, as Caleb, following you more fully. They walked in faith. So was Joshua. So was Moses. So was Aaron. Those men that knew you, those men that were in close relationship with you, they were able to walk by faith. They were able to see past the circumstance. They were, they were able to see and trust God. But those who were not, those who were just kind of in the camp, but not really in relationship. Oh, they were part of the congregation there. They were part of the, of the group. But Lord, at the first sign of trouble, at the first indication of difficulty, they're overwhelmed by fear and they have no idea what's going on spiritually. They have no concept of the kind of loving, merciful, gracious God you are. They immediately thought the worst of God, and they began to rebel and turn. Lord, I pray for our hearts tonight. I pray that we would follow you more fully. I pray that we would walk in close relationship with you, Lord. Maybe we're in a season today where we're not in that emergency trial. We're not there at the you know, having to take a big step of faith. Lord, that's the time to prepare. That's the time to walk close to you. We don't want to wait till till the waters are flooding to try and find our footing. And so, Lord, I pray that you would challenge us tonight, but also encourage us tonight, that you love us and that you want to bring us to a a place of peace and blessing. And as we're closing here tonight, our heads are bowed. I, I do want to give an opportunity for those that, may need to respond to the Lord tonight. If you're here tonight and you do not have that relationship with God that we're talking about, you know about Him. You may even be kind of hanging around, you know, kind of in the camp. But you don't have that relationship with Him. You've never given your life completely to Him. He loves you. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sins. He wants to pardon you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to cleanse you and bring you in to a promised land, a place of peace and joy and fellowship and relationship. If you're here tonight and you do not have that confidence in relationship, I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to pray with you to invite Jesus into your heart. Maybe you're here tonight and you need to rededicate, recommit your life to Him. You know, these were the the children of God. They had already come out of Egypt. They were of the family of God, but they were not walking in any kind of close relationship with Him. Maybe that's some of you here tonight. You know the Lord. You've accepted Jesus as your Savior. But you're in the wilderness, wandering about, never really committing your heart to follow Him more fully, as Caleb did. And you're living in the anxiety and the fear and the trap of that that wilderness wandering. I'd love to pray for you if you need to recommit yourself to the Lord tonight. If you're here tonight and you need to receive the Lord Jesus for the very first time, or you need to rededicate your life to Him, would you raise your hand so that I can see you? And I will pray for you here tonight. Anybody tonight, the Lord is speaking to you. Bless you, sir, upstairs. Amen. 
Anyone else? The Lord is speaking to you and you want to be prayed for. Bless you, ma'am, over on my right. And you, sir, in the back. Any others? The Lord speaking to you tonight. You're in the wilderness. You're wandering. And you know that He has more for you. He's calling you. God bless you. Any others before I pray? And so, Lord, for those hearts that have responded to you tonight, I pray that you would meet them here, and that your Holy Spirit would touch them, and that you would speak to them very clearly tonight, and that you love them, and that you have a promised land for them, Lord, so to speak. You have a promised life, a, a relationship, a fellowship, peace with God, forgiveness of sins, joy, Confidence, victory over sin and habits and bondage, setting them free and bringing them into a life of fruitfulness for, their, for, for your kingdom and for your purpose and an eternal life with you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for this great, great gift. And so we ask that you would forgive us of our sins. We ask that you would cleanse us by the blood of Jesus that he spilled at the cross of Calvary. And that you would fill us with your spirit. And God, that you would bring us into that full blessing that you have for us. A life that is lived by faith, not by works or effort, but by faith and trust. Fill us with your spirit afresh and anew. Bless those that have responded here tonight, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.